Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv slash giving. Enjoy. All right, we are in the middle of our XYZ series, how the younger generation is changing the world for the better and how every generation can help. Week one, we interviewed four amazing people from our traditions generation, the greatest generation. Last week, we interviewed six people from our uh, incredible boomer generation. But today, today, we interview people from the Generation X, the heroes who first brought you heavy metal. They first brought you hip hop, first brought you punk rock, first brought you new wave, first brought you MTV. They ushered in an age of pop and the first use of the World Wide Web Yes, we are called the forgotten generation, the neglected generation, the stuck generation, the middle generation. We have no solid identity in the world, but don't forget, without us, you would not have hair bands. Ladies and gentlemen, Generation X. All right, very excited. Very, very fun, there we go, all right. They don't know how to sit properly on stools. All right, these are four uh, good friends of mine, and uh, they're good friends of Rancho as well. And uh, they've been uh, around uh, our parts here for quite some time and having a big impact in our church and in our community. So it really is a pleasure to have uh, all of you here. We're going to start, Aaron, with you. Um, Aaron happens to be the city manager of Temecula, so he runs the place, and it is a beautiful city. You and your staff and countless people have created something truly spectacular here. Your career impacts every generation. You have every generation on, on your staff intentionally show, so. You impact um, every resident in our community of any age. So how can you see Generation X being kind of a bridge between the older and younger generations? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, that Gen X is a bridge. We're sandwiched in between multiple generations. Uh, on any given day at the city, um, we can have five generations of employees. And, and that is pretty special, yeah. and, and we've embraced it. Um, we look at the value system, we, we talk about it, and, um, and, and we're also, that's just on, on the city hall side and the public service side, which I love, um, but we're also public servants, and so we're serving a community um, from offering classes for uh, little people mm-hmm. all the way up to our seniors and active adults and everybody in between. And so um, we're surrounded by it and we're embracing it. And uh, personally and professionally, I've come to really, in my uh, upbringing, really appreciate what the generations uh, above me have, have done. And there's such wisdom there. And I've, I'm, as I reflect back on, on the 25 years that I've been working for the city, a lot of people have above before me have invested in me and now I feel a strong compulsion to invest in those that are coming up and the next generation of leadership as well as succession planning uh, as we move forward. And Gen X is that perfect bridge between those generations and you get to live that out every day in in City Hall, so thanks. Uh, Kim, uh, Generation X is known for creating a a work-life, work-family balance. Uh, the boomers were very, very hard, hardworking, and they did what they thought was best and actually built a great country and great business and employment opportunities. Gen X is, is you could say, kind of correcting things a little bit in terms of a life balance. How do you see that playing out in your own life and with your own friends? Thanks for asking. Um, actually, I've chose um, 
to work. So I'm a working mom, and I've had three very successful careers. I'm the president CEO um, for Visit Temecula Valley. Um, so I've worked for about 30 years since I was 16. Um, I think that was instilled to me from values from my parents. And so now I've raised two daughters. So I have a demanding job as a president CEO, but I also have looked back at how I can be more proactive about what it was like to balance um, work life. Because my parents didn't take a lot of vacations. There was a lot of stress in our homes. And as I've seen with Aaron's career and my career, that it was really important for us to have that balance. So I've seen how we brought the stress to our own personal lives. So we've really tried to stay involved in our daughters, both played sports. So we were active, even if we had to share responsibilities, because we had a lot of guilt not being able to be at everything because we we're young parents trying to figure it out, I, I would say. And so we would share responsibilities for sports. Also, with our financial peace planning, we um, really make it a priority to plan and save for vacations. That's really important to us as a family. So at least I can use that in coaching my daughters um, as we're going through stressful seasons or Aaron's career as well, that we can look forward to that spring break, that summer vacation if we're even just going to the beach. Um, so that was really important for us in planning for vacations. Um, and then also, I think as they went through their teenage years where I, I think we were trying to find a way for them to spend more time at home and getting a little um, envious about them wanting to always be at other people's homes. So we're always encouraging them to bring your friends over to our house. And we promise we weren't going to embarrass you. I think that's one of our, you know, have them over so we can give you time. So we really have worked hard. And I think being proactive, you know, because of course the early decade of our marriage, we've married over 20 years, um, it was hard. It was hard raising a young family. And I think we've learned in the, in the past 10 years how to plan and be more proactive. So we're a little more successful, I think, than we were in the first half. Well, that's great. And uh, that's part of life, right? And learning. And whether you're one income or two income, you two prioritize family. And as we get together quite often for coffee, always talking about family and kids and vacations, taking those vacations, prioritizing meals together, friends over, things like that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool. Now, Andrew, you own a, a successful business. And uh, you also uh, very intentionally pour into the young generations. In fact, just kind of selfishly here, Andrew has poured into my own kids as a business mentor and a life mentor. As they get older, you know, more co uh, coaches and, and mentors kind of pour into their lives. And Andrew's been one of those key voices for my own kids. So you're up here a little bit uh, uh, <laughs> selfishly that you've had such a good impact on my own boys. And I, and I thank you for that. And it continues. So what have you done to intentionally pour into the next generation? Why do you do that? Well, I'll uh, start with the why. Uh, three, three things. One is I got an invitation from C. Solomon to get involved with his youth group. So I just showed up and started hanging out with the kids. Number two, I think we have a responsibility uh, for the coaches, mentors, parents in our lives to pay it forward, like Aaron was talking about. And the third thing is it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to grow things, try new things. And at that age, everything's changing so quickly. It's, it's very satisfying to watch it grow and go well. And when it goes bad, it goes pretty bad, but <laughs> yeah, pick it up. There's time to pick up those pieces. Exactly. <laughs> the, the how, I think, um, I hadn't really thought about it until you asked the question. We just kind of do what we do. But there are four categories there. Number one is uh, food. We try to feed them <laughs> as much as possible. If we feed them, they show up, and we build relationships through that. Uh, I have pretty much my whole life is built around my lunch schedule. All right? Number two. Um, what was number two? We, we compete together. Uh, there's nothing better than beating someone younger you, than you at anything. Could be work. Thank you. Right here. Appreciate that. So, so we play basketball with Tyndall on right. Saturdays, yeah. right? We, we, we compete. Our, our kids at sports camp, things like that. 
We, um, what was the other ones? Well, I'm going to, I'm slipping on one, but work. Work is the most important one. If you can get these kids paid, they show up <laughs> and they're, they like the money. They're broke all the time. And so little things that we do is I was looking for uh, some landscape help in my front yard. And I thought, oh, I'll take the kids from the coffee carts here. They get paid like, like six bucks an hour or something. So, yeah, they're cheap labor. And the first day, we I was like... We with all California yeah, federal no, laws Yeah, for sure, here, for sure. Oh, my gosh. And the first Andrew. day they showed up, it was a rough start. We, we had a kid break an axe in half. Like, he was working oh. so hard. Yeah, very uh, rudimentary guys. Uh, they were pulling bushes out with their hands. It was crazy. But we got them going, and at this point in their lives, they're running small businesses. They're investing in Roth IRAs. They're, I don't know, saving and working. It's pretty cool stuff. So that's, that's one little anecdote for what we do. And, uh, well, one of, one of my kids in particular had worked for you in that zone, probably the guy trying to pull out a whole bush with, a, with his bare hands without yes, tools. Yes, that was him. Yeah, I think it was him. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of a big, big spender. He was a big spender. And you put something in his, in his ear about the idea of saving and compound interest, and your voice at that age makes so much more of an impact than the parents at that time. It's just the natural cycle of life, right? And that stuck in his brain, and for him to do the research on which is the best, you know, IRA to invest in, these kids are 19 years old. And I don't think they would have done that without your Oh, man, they got a lot of time. Yeah, they got they a do. lot of time. It's yep. pretty cool. So. Now, Jen, uh, I've gotten to know your family uh, quite a bit. You guys have five kids. And um, I love your sort of family work rhythm. Sometimes it seems very chaotic, as all families are with a lot of young kids. This is true. But why do you think Generation <laughs> X is so committed to their children? I think growing up with boomers as parents, we saw that workaholic kind of mentality and how they provided so much for our families, um, but that came at a little bit of a sacrifice to their family time. So um, I think, uh, as you said, um, we're kind of finding a balance between that work and family. Um, I know in like 2012, we had four kids under the age of four. So like you said, it was yeah. chaotic. Um, and I don't remember too much from that year, it's kind of a blur, <laughs> but... Um, Whenever we would go in public, anytime, it's always, oh, you've got your hands full, which would always be followed by, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids, or enjoy every minute, it goes so fast. So as parents, I think we hear this, and our generation especially, I think, is trying to take advantage of that advice a little bit, and really um, enjoy the here and now versus kind of waiting until we have more time. So um, I think we do this because we see the benefit in that, and we see... Um, that we want our kids to feel encouraged and we want our kids to be supported in anything they do and that it's okay to not have everything figured out and we can kind of do that together as a family. Um, and yeah. That's great. Well, you guys are, are great friends. You're my people. I mean, Generation X, there is no better. Well, yeah, there is, but we're, we're trying our best. Hey, thank you very much, guys, and appreciate you being here. All right, Generation X. The reason why it's called Generation X is that algebraic X, the unknown, the unknown generation. In fact, Generation X is largely an identityless generation wedged between the business building boomers and the technology saturated millennials. And so we get kind of lost. That's why we've been called the lost generation. We've been called the forgotten generation. This is age 40 to 55. We've been called the in-between generation. We've been called the latchkey generation. And of course, the most important thing we did to the world is we introduced MTV. So we're the MTV generation. 
Now, for those of you who are boomers, this next slide might be offensive, but remember the covenant that we made at the very beginning. We're not going to be offended and self-defensive. We're just going to engage the, the cultural conversations about the generation. But these are the kinds of memes that are out there about the, the different generations. Um, the boomers are fighting. The millennials are fighting, and they're fighting each other often. You have this, okay, boomers making fun of millennials. They're fighting. The conservative boomers are fighting the liberal young ones. The, the liberal boomers are fighting the conservative young ones. They're fighting. And who's in between? Han Solo, the guy, the super chill, kind of isn't picking a side, just kind of whatever, right? That's the Generation X. Now, why did we get so dispassionate? Why did we get so kind of just, just chilled out? Well, many of us were latchkey kids. We were left at home on our own, left to ourselves and our friends to just kind of figure life out. Our parents loved us. They did what they thought was absolutely the best for us. They, they built a lifestyle. They built business, and they left a, a huge legacy after them. But we were often left on our own. And so the businesses that our parents worked for took our parents away from family life. And so as a result, we became a little bit cynical, right? Now, we hung out in well-defined cliques. And this is one of the hallmarks of Generation X. We hung out in well-defined cliques. Why? We needed an identity, we were Generation X. We did not have a common generational thing. So we had to find our identity in these cliques. And we created a lot of cliques. This is our gift to the world. Ready? The grunge scene, the punk scene, the pop scene, the new wave scene. All this created by Generation X trying to find an identity. The early hip-hop scene, the heavy metal scene, the skate scene, the jock scene, what I'll call the Chad scene, <laughs> which I think is absolutely hysterical. Nobody else does, clearly. And the nerd scene, the nerd scene. Now, I kind of had this weird Gen X experience. I floated a little bit, and, um, and I wasn't a real secure kid, so it's not like I floated between scenes with any kind of confidence. I was just kind of floating around different friendship circles. And so I was a nerd for sure. I was programming Commodore 64 computers. Remember Commodore 64 computers? All right, this group is absolutely going to remember Commodore 64 com computers. But then I was a heavy metal drummer. So you probably won't understand this language, but I had a double kick drum, a 23-piece set. I had 12 zillion platinum cymbals, and I was rocking and rolling the heavy metal, right? Now, Nirvana at the time came, became the soundtrack of our generation X. Smells like teen spirit. I'm sure all of you are humming that in your head became the anthem of our generation. And the key line of the song, Smells Like Teen Spirit, is this. Oh, well, whatever, never mind. That's the anthem. That's the phrase of Generation X. We were identityless. We were kind of floating. And so as a result, there was this sort of dull depression and anger. It didn't come out in like, like outward heavy depression or heavy anger necessarily. But it was a lot of times just this dull depression and anger that comes from not having an identity. But then we grew up a little bit, and the anger and depression of this new generation, someone said, started to become mainstream. So now all of these movements and scene and music and culture and art are now mainstream. You, you look at the, at the Grammys, and everything that our generation sort of brought in terms of trying to struggle for our unique identity is now absolutely mainstream. And as we got older... We actually did pretty well in school. So we weren't so depressed and angry that we couldn't finish our schoolwork. In fact, we did pretty well in school, and Generation X is now the best educated generation 
in U.S. history. As we got older, we quietly found jobs, and we did pretty well in our jobs. Over the last three years, there have been a lot of articles and studies about just how well Gen Xers are doing in their jobs, and it's remarkable. So all of these older um, scholars are coming out with these articles saying, can you believe it? Generation X is actually successful. <laughs> this is a big surprise. How can these people, the oh, well, whatever, never mind generation, actually become really successful in business? But we are quite successful. But we are also very cynical. We are a cynical bunch. And perhaps it's because we were latchkey kids trying to figure out our identity that we just kind of got a little numb and a little critical of other people. And so we are cynical. We are cynical. That's us. We have a well-deserved reputation of being a bit listless, passionless, ironic, sarcastic, and even somewhat apathetic. We do our jobs, but inside, we're not easily impressed. Inside, we doubt everything anybody says. Inside, we mistrust every institution. And inside, we will find the flaw in most anything. And every once in a while, that cynicism and criticism leaks out. In fact, some of the great comedians uh, in our world today, if you follow comedy at all, most of them are from Generation X. Why? Because their cynicism, finding the flaw, and sarcasm is hysterical. It's hysterical. It's got that bite to it and super funny. But this can result in a critical spirit, a critical spirit. So we have to kind of guard our critical spirit. Some of you know the fruits of the spirit, right? Galatians 5, through 23. The spirit of God produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a few of those that Generation X will struggle with. We struggle with joy because we have that sort of dull, sort of depressive anger thing from our youth that's kind of lingering a little bit. We don't really exude the kind of joy that Ryan Beaver did when he got the hole-in-one. We're just kind of muted. We need to find that joy. We're not very patient. We're a little impatient. We carry ourselves as a little impatient and sort of edgy at times. We're not, we don't come across as kind. I, I think Generation X, by and large, are good-hearted people. We have a hard time expressing kindness in an outward way. Gentleness is not our thing, you know? We just kind of tend to, to bite a little bit. That's why we have to work on this. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And I've had to pay attention to that quite a bit. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I am absolutely cynical, and I'm absolutely sarcastic, and I'm at a terrible business for those things. I mean, being a pastor who's cynical and sarcastic, it is not a good combination, I would just say right up front. And early in my ministry, it was fine when you were hanging around youth because they also, I youth pastored people in my same generation roughly, right? There's not that, that much of a gap. So I connected very well with people in youth ministry. When I made the transition to lead pastor, I told our founding pastor and board, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I can do this because I knew how I was wired. I mean, some of you aren't going to like this, but I want to be honest with you always. When somebody can't, comes to me and says, you know what? God told me this. I want you to know that inside, I'm rolling my eyes and don't believe you. That's the cynicism. If somebody says, you know, uh, God did a miracle in my life, I'll roll my eyes and I don't believe you. Now, I can get there over time, but I'm a cynical, critical person right here, and, and I've, had to, I've had to fight that, and I've had to ask God, okay, I don't want to do anything without grumbling. I don't want to be the eye-rolling pastor. I don't want to be the one who just doesn't believe anything mystical in the world, right? I want that kind of fruit of the Spirit that my generation tends to sort of push aside. So thank you for helping me with that and being patient with that. Then when we started having kids, 
Um, this was an interesting journey for all of us who are Gen Xers, particularly those of us who might have been latchkey kids left alone quite a bit. It was five years after we got married uh, that we had kids, and I thank God for every second of those five years because I needed a mental adjustment. I never considered myself to be father material. I, I just, there just wasn't that thing in my upbringing where it's, oh, I can't wait to have kids. It's like, oh, no, I can wait to have kids. <laughs> we waited five years, and the day April was born is the day I believe I became a human being. I needed all of that nine months of gestation just to get my head and soul ready for this. And the moment she was born, I wept. I can't remember ever crying before that day about anything. That's sort of that kind of Gen X, dull, depression, anger thing. I just never cried. The moment, literally the second she was born, I wept. And I began a journey of, of love for this child and this person who never considered himself to be a father had four <laughs> of these creatures. And I'm going to give them my best. They're going to have my best, right? And so the Gen Xers have really taken that family value and run with it, but we can tend to be helicopter parents, right? We can tend to be helicopter parents. Because we want our kids to have the best. If they're experiencing any conflict on the playground or with their friends, we want to step in and just solve it, right? If they're getting their feelings hurt at all, if there's a disconnect with their teacher, if they're getting a B minus, it's the teacher's fault, right? So uh, we will bubble wrap them and we will make sure that no feelings are hurt, that all conflicts are solved because they're our precious little children. So we can be helicopter parents. And we don't tend to do Proverbs 22, 6 very well. Direct your children onto the right path. That word direct in the Hebrew means train or intentionally train in the way of an honorable course of life. We don't do a great job intentionally training. Our job for a lot of Gen Xers is make sure our kids don't experience any pain and make sure that if they participate in the sport, everybody gets a participation trophy because everybody needs to be successful because you breathe, right? That's the helicopter parent way. So we could probably do a better job of parenting intentionally our kids so we don't create this bubble-wrapped snowflakes. We do not want bubble-wrapped snowflakes, but I'm telling you, they are coming because it's our fault. We didn't do the best job training, but as the Adams say, uh, we could adjust, right? We can adjust. We can make mid-course adjustments to say, okay, we might have bubble-wrapped our kids when they were young, but now we're going to you know, train them a little more intentionally. There's a few things that Generation X has brought to our culture that have been absolutely wonderful. Family values. Generation X brought biblical family values back to the United States of America. Psalm 127, three through four. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. So it's, your, it's, your, it's your pride, like these are my kids and they're a gift from God, right? That kind of heart is what Generation X brought to the United States of America. The boomers and traditionalists had family values more of, of an institutional way. Generation X brought it more in the heart to heart relational way. Secondly, Generation X brought life balance. Ecclesiastes 7.16, I love this. Don't be too good and don't be too wise. Why destroy yourself? This is written from an old angry man who spent his entire life working himself to the bone. He wanted to be the best. This is King Solomon. He wanted to be the wisest. He wanted to be the most respected with the best lifestyle. He says, it destroyed me. I'm a destroyed old man. And he says, why be too good? 
Why be too wise? Had a conversation just yesterday with someone, a Rancho staff member, uh, who's a Gen Xer, who had a great conversation with a boomer in her same field in a different city who's um, a, a boomer, as I said. Gen Xer and boomer, same job. They had a little meeting. The boomer says, in exhaustion, I, I am just working so hard, 70 hours a week, there's so much to do. Our Gen Xer says, why are you working 70 hours a week? I would never do that. I would never do that. Well, there's so much to do. I have so much to do as well. Sometimes you just have to turn the lights out and go home and go spend time with your family. That's life-work balance. It's pretty fun. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says this, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work chasing after the wind. Again, this is sort of the boomer Gen X thing. It's about wealth, right? King Solomon wanted to grab for wealth, hands full, 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 full of wealth, prominence, respect, right? But he's destroyed and he's chasing after the wind and he's exhausted by his hard work. He says, you know what? What I should have done is I should have chased after less things. And I would have been more at peace and I wouldn't have been chasing the wind. I might have had more time for people. Now, Gen X is bringing that to the table. What's also pretty cool is the boomer generation is also correcting course now, and they're giving more time to their family and more time for their grandkids. Boomers have become such good grandparents. Why? Because they've realized what King Solomon realized. I've worked so hard, I'm going to now enjoy family. Gen Xers have also been quietly successful. I love Isaiah 28, 24. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? life rhythm. And life rhythm brings quiet success. Some people have their value in their hard work. I plow and 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 I plow. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I have so many things to do. Plow, plow, plow. And that's how we get our kind of self-affirmation. Gen Xers are saying, yeah, I don't have to plow always. I plow for a while. Then I plant seeds, weed a little bit, water, wait, and rest. Oh, there's a harvest. Now I'm going to work hard again, and then I'm going to plow again. There's a life rhythm that actually results in a lot of success. Some people toil and toil and toil, and they don't get really the fruit of their success because they haven't enjoyed that life rhythm. And then finally, Gen Xers have found freedom from religion, and to that I just applaud in my soul so much. Freedom from religion. Gen Xers have found freedom. Now, Gen Xers don't like institutions, anti-establishment, anti-institution. Generally speaking, and everything I say is generalizations here, right? We talked about that week one. Um, the generalization is that Gen X uh, don't trust big institutions. They don't trust big business. They don't trust big bank, big oil, big pharma, big tech, and big religion. And they're anti-institutional. Let me be clear. Religion is an institution. Jesus was in the business of tearing down the institution of religion. We talk about this quite a bit here. Matthew 23, 4 through 5, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. Gen Xers look at religion, every religion, including the Christian religion, and they say, all I see is a bunch of rules. All I see is a bunch of religious expectations. I see a bunch of doctrines I have to believe and doctrines I can't believe. I see a bunch of behaviors I need to do and behaviors that I cannot do. You have a sport of judging people for their, quote, sin, but you don't look at your own sin, and everything you do is for show. We come to church, and, and we, we speak in a way that we don't normally speak in our real lives. We act in a way we don't normally act in our real lives, and Gen Xers are saying, I am out. And to that I applaud because Jesus came to tear down the religious institution and to reveal something brand new. 
Isaiah 43 talked about this new thing that was coming. For I'm about to do something new, God says. I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. What God is saying here as a prophecy is the dry wasteland is this institution of religion that needs land and temples and priestly orders and commands and expectations. This whole dead thing. God says, I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to bring something else. I'm going to bring something else. 1 Corinthians 1.30, this is what Jesus brought. Jesus brought an announcement, a declaration that God has united you with Jesus Christ. The institution of religion doesn't unite us to God. Temples and churches don't unite us to God. Priests and pastors don't unite us to God. Jesus unites us to God. For our benefit, God made him, Jesus, to be the wisdom of God. He made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Who does all the work? Jesus. No mediators, no pastors, no buildings, no land, no armies, nothing. All of that needs to be torn down. And some of you, especially you Gen Xers out there, are cynically thinking, well, Pastor Scott, leader of Rancho Community Church, that has 50 acres and millions of dollars worth of building and a big budget and uh, a board. What say you? Well, here's the deal. We spend a lot of time trying to deinstitutionalize our institution. Now, when there's a certain amount of success, a certain amount of people come, we have the church, we have the school, we have rescue mission, it requires land. The mission requires land and buildings. And there is money that comes in to resource the mission. There's boards that have to keep everybody accountable. So there is an institution that needs to be healthy and accountable, but it doesn't have to be institutional. Make sense? Nod your head if that makes sense. Do this if it doesn't, and I won't care because I'm out of time. That's the trick. How can you have a responsible institution without being institutional to make sure the life of the church is about relationship and not about land and property and money and initiatives and board meetings and it's about people, it's about human beings, it's about relationships, it's about coming alongside people who are hurting and, and helping them, it's about coming alongside of the, of the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed and helping them in tangible ways locally and globally. It's about advancing what? The cause of Christ. That doesn't have to be an institution or institutional. Where does Gen X fit in this? I think Gen X fits in this whole story, this might sound presumptuous, where Jesus fit. Jesus was a voice in the middle. There were the older people around Jesus. They were the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were running the big institution of religion. Then to the other side of Jesus were the Essenes. They were the mystics in caves, and they took vows of poverty. So you have the institutional people living in the lavish temples and money and all that. You have the Essenes living in poverty. It's all about people and relationships and helping the poor, and Jesus is right in the middle. And, and in the middle, Jesus told the institution, you've got to die to the institutionalism. And he even said this temple is going to be totally destroyed, not one rock in front of the other. And then he told the Essenes, Listen, let's organize around this cause of helping the poor and giving grace to everybody, always, right? And he created disciples primarily from the younger generations, and they changed the world today. Two billion people follow Christ. Galatians 3.27, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ. Generation X is uniquely positioned to celebrate the older generations 
and to mobilize the incredible legacy of the older generations and, and to be a powerful bridge to the older generations, but also to the younger generations as these families behind me and many Gen Xers in our church are doing, giving their lives to the younger generation and, and bringing wisdom and coaching and mentoring to the younger generation, being the bridge. But the issue right now is Gen Xers are too quiet. We're too behind the scenes. We quietly were raised, we quietly were educated, we quietly worked and we're quietly sitting in churches. Generation X, I think, has an opportunity and a responsibility to not be so quiet and to step up and to say we have a role, an important role. We can step back and watch the boomers and millennials fight it out, political fights, cultural fights, meme fights, or we can step in and say we have an important role here. We can be the bridge between the older and the younger. There's so many good things that we can unite over. We'll talk about that next week. There's so many relationships to be built. There's the cause of Christ that 100% of the world loves. Let's do that together. It can be a powerful example for this world. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for our mediator, Jesus Christ, the one in the middle. He was in the middle of our heavenly Father, our holy and righteous heavenly Father. He was in the middle uh, of humanity. Uh, this broken humanity running away from God. He was in the middle. He was in the middle of the young and old, the older Pharisees and Sadducees and the younger Essenes. He was right there in the middle and he taught and he celebrated everyone and he brought them together around a common cause of bringing your forgiving grace freely to this world. Young and old, rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. He was the bridge. Thank you that we can place our faith and trust in him. Only through him are we forgiven and brought to a right relationship with you. We believe that, we receive that. Now help us all, every generation, not just generation X, to be more like Christ, to be that bridge, not just between young and old, but between Republican and Democrat, rich and poor, to take all of the division and, fra and factions of this world that are fueled by politics and news media and, and money, and we can say there's a better way to live. We can live united, we can live loving, we can celebrate each other. We can find common ground and do good things together, advancing the cause of Christ. In his name we pray, and everybody said, amen.